Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. This is the Holy Hour of Power. My name is Jesse Romero. I am the Latin lover of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Latin lover of Our Lady, and it's good to be back. Amen, brother. Terry Barber, the Lebanese lover of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Lebanese lover of Our Lady. Jesse, I'm excited to be back. I did a show this morning in the wee hours of the morning when it was still dark with Bishop Athanasius Snyder out from Kazakhstan. They were halfway around the world to talk about his I'm his sure book. it was worth it. Oh, you're kidding me? I'm absolutely I was doing push ups during the breaks, man. <laughs> he did he did the uh, he talked about his book, The Catholic Mass. We're gonna play it on Monday's show. It's the awesome. second part of a three part series on the Catholic Mass. Steps to Restoring the Centrality of God in the Liturgy. What is he saying? Kind of implying that what's implied is that we need to bring back sacredness back to the liturgy. It's going to be a great interview on Monday. Today we've got some great stuff here. Our good friend, Philip Lawler. I've known him for 35 years. And, you know, he's talking about something that Jesse and I covered maybe a week or two ago on the, on the air but uh, I think it's important. He wrote a very consensus article regarding the bombshell memo to cardinals on the next papal conclave. We're going to talk about that. Also, this is incredible about the Marian option. You've heard the nuclear option. Have you guys heard that in war? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about the Marian option, about what Mary has done through 2,000 years here? And, and, and continues to do. Every, all the time. Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about, and we, we obviously go through the gospel. We call that our good news, and we call it our soul food. We got Fulton Sheen up ahead of us. Jesse, I'm just glad to be back from my road trip, so if you could give us some soul food, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm glad to be back too, Terry, uh, from my road trip. <laughs> I hear you, brother. Oh, over in uh, <clears throat> in, in the, the eastern part of the country where it's very cold, I'm glad to be back. Okay. Oh, I bet you are, brother. Reading for the Holy Gospel according to John... Jesus moved about within Galilee. He did not wish to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him, but the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, he also went up, he also went up, not openly, but as it it were in secret. Some of the inhabitants of Jerusalem said, is he not the one who, who they are trying to kill? And look, he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Could the authorities have realized that he is the Christ? But we know where he is from. <clears throat> when the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. So Christ cried out in the temple area as he was teaching and said, you know me and also know where I am from. Yet I did not come on my own but the one who sent me, whom you do not know. He just insulted them, just saying, you guys don't know God. Yep. <laughs> then our Lord says, um, I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So they tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. His hour. Yep. <clears throat> What, what's going on here? It, it, to understand today's gospel, really you have to read today's first reading, which is from a book that Protestants own habits in the Book of Wisdom. In the Book of Wisdom, today's first reading at Mass, Jesus is the prophesied Messiah by the Jews 
He's the one called the just one in the in the first reading. Yep. He's the one that's called uh, uh, the son of God. Uh, he's the one that's called in the first reading. God will take care of him. The first reading shows that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that's been promised to the Jews for about 4,000 years. And in the New Testament, or in the Gospel today, they don't recognize Him. Because there's a certaining hardness of heart that's come upon the Jews. St. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. When somebody's uh, heart is set on evil... They become intellectually blind or spiritually blind, as St. Paul says. And you also see that from, from today's responsorial psalm, where it says, The Lord confronts the evildoers. Who are the evildoers? That generation of Jews that rejected their Messiah. Those are the evildoers. And it says, To destroy remembrance of them from the earth. But look what God says about the just, those that follow the Messiah, in today's uh, responsorial psalm. Many are the troubles of the just man. The perfect just man is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But out of them all, the Lord delivers him. Yep. Many were the troubles of Jesus Christ on planet Earth because he established and hated them. But guess what? Who delivered him? God the Father, ultimately. And so, what does it mean when Jesus Christ says, My hour has not yet come? 17 times in the Gospel of John, the word, the hour of Jesus, is mentioned and this is a highly anticipated moment in the ministry of Jesus Christ that constantly grabs our attention. But in the second half of the Gospel of John, you'll find that when, when Jesus comes upon his hour, it means his final days of his life. That's what it means in today's passage. It means the final days of his life. That's the meaning of this hour. It's, it has the singular focus of the mission of Christ. And again, this mysterious hour, it also means that when he, when he said to the Blessed Virgin Mary, that this hour is also historically linked with his passion. And it, it's also linked with, with the Last Supper, that liturgical commemoration of all these events in the church. And so there's a whole lot to this word, the hour. Great commentary, Jess, that last part of that gospel that says, so they tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand upon him because his hour had not come. And we're going to be coming to that hour. We call it the week that changed the world. It's coming soon, Jess. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. All right, let's bring the smartest guy into the, week, to the room. <laughs> Fulton Sheen, full Sheen ahead. Jesse, this talks about, Bishop Sheen talks a lot about sin, in a lot of his talks, and I think it's because at that time when Sheen was running around preaching, there was a lot of people who didn't who wanted to poo-poo sin. They didn't want to believe that anybody could go to hell. It's just like our time right now. It's a universal salvation. Everybody goes to heaven. No! Here's what Bishop Sheen says. Everyone who is conscious of sin knows his sin deserves punishment. But if sin or guilt is denied... The need for punishment finds its outlet vicariously in the love of violence visited upon others. Jesse, the, the profound—it's a very profound thought, but I want to just ask your take on this. When he says those who are conscious of sin know that his sin deserves punishment, I take that as the people who don't believe anybody can go to hell 
They don't believe you can sin. In other words, there's nothing. It's kind of a Protestant approach that says whatever you do, that your sins are forgiven. So, you know, there's no real sin that can, you know, you have to take accountability. So his point and my take on this, Jess, is that when you're conscious of sin, you know what that means, that you have to repent or go to hell. It's just it's just a basic teaching of the church for 2,000 years, and it seems to be denied back then, and it's being denied today. Terry, also sin, one of the things that the Catechism says, and this is, you know, this proceeds, this goes way back, not, yeah. you know, it's not like something Vatican II invented, right. is that <clears throat> sin also, requ- when you repent, it requires reparation. Amen. And this is why, Terry, a lot of people are, will spend probably the rest of eternity in purgatory if they die in a state of grace, because they did no reparation for their sin. And yeah. so they're going to have to spend, uh, you know, almost the rest of their life until the second coming of Christ in eternity. Incredible. Because repar- look at Jesus did reparation on a spiritual level for our sins. He because of the infinite sacrifice of Christ, which is infinitely perfect. It play, it pays the infinite debt of justice. We, you know, we, we know to an infinite holy God, the father. Yep. But on a human level. Human reparation needs to be made. In other words, we have to do penance. Or as it says in the book of Acts, we have to do works befitting of our repentance, St. Luke writes. And so a lot of people, let's just say somebody has a deathbed conversion. Praise God that 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 happens. But he's lived a wretched life of like voting for pro-abortion legislation for 15 years. And he has a deathbed conversion or, 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 you know, and he uh, confesses. The fact is, he still has to do reparation. That's right. Because his sin was public for 50 years, and so the reparation will also, will also have to be public. And since he did not have time to do that, he's going to have to make that reparation in purgatory. That's the way it works, Jess. Hey, I got good news from Arizona, the, city, the state you live in. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey has signed bills banning biological men from pray, pr- playing girls' sports. Hey, hooray for that. And to make gender reassignment surgeries, surgeries illegal for minors. And to boot, Jesse, he banned most abortions after 15 weeks. Jess, I, need, I think that's the 14th state. Yeah, it is. The 14th state that's going to protect our daughters and their sports. And, and again, figure out that there's a difference between a man and a woman. We at least have 14 states that figured that one out. That's right. Uh, praise God, Terry. Uh, we're, we're seeing some good things, some good movement yeah. in, in different parts of the country. That's right. And so I just, uh, I'm very grateful. And that's what, it, that, that's see, that's the difference when you get, for example, uh, Governor Ducey here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. The state of Arizona. He's a practicing Catholic. Good. And I hear that he goes to a prayer group every, like, once a week. Awesome. He goes to a, a week, a Catholic Bible study out in his parish. So he's trying to form his conscience, and it shows. Well said. When we come back, we got a bombshell, a memo to Cardinals on the next Papal Conclave with Philip Lawler. You won't want to miss this. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888 888- Five two six two one five one. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Have you heard about the bombshell memo to cardinals yep. on the next papal conclave? So, after years of doctrinal confusion, 
and disciplinary inconsistency, the prominent cardinals are clearly growing restive about the leadership of Pope Francis. Today, Cardinal uh, George Pell, this was actually last week uh, on the fifth, two weeks ago. Right. Cardinal George Pell issued a highly unusual public statement <clears throat> calling for a Vatican rebuke of two other prominent prelates whose public statements have suggested a wholesale and explicit rejection of church teachings on sexuality. And on the same day, a prominent Italian journalist made public a memorandum which he said is now circulating among members of the College of Cardinals pronouncing that this pontificate is a disaster in many or most respects a catastrophe. Sandro Magister of L'Espresso, who published the bombshell memo, is a veteran Vatican watcher with excellent sources who does not shy away from controversy. Sandro Magister writes that the author, quote, is unknown, but shows himself a thorough master of the subject. It cannot be ruled out that he himself is a cardinal, close quote. The memo, like the public statement from Cardinal Pell, points to the German hierarchy whose synodal path has become an open conduit for dissent from church teaching <clears throat> uh, and to Cardinal Hollerich, to whom the Pope has entrusted the, the leadership of the next worldwide synod of bishops who, as the memo puts it, quote, rejects the Christian teaching on sexuality, close quote. The silence from the Vatican in response to these expressions of dissent, the memo's pseudonymous author continues, <laughs> contrasts sharply with the active persecution of the traditionalist Catholics and the contemplative convents. Yes, let me just jump in and make a comment because I'm listening to this and I'm, ch I'm kind of like, I shouldn't chuckle, but I'm saying like, if you want to destruct your uh, organization, then get, put some people in there that just say the opposite of what policy is. I'll, I'll give you, a, a, it's not a perfect analogy, but let's just say you work for IBM and uh, IBM did computers and you come in as a policy that says, we're no longer using computers in the company anymore. You go, well, dude, this is what we do. We make computers. And when you have people in the church who just totally say, no, we're not going to uh, go along with monogamy. We're not going to go along with uh, just sex between a, a husband and a wife. We want to do homosexual marriages. They say, man, dude, that's not who we are. Get out. But you see, we're not even getting that. And just uh, if there was, this is what Philip Lawler said. And I have this one thing I circled is what I really think is he nailed it. If there was no Roman correction of such heresy, now it's a hard word, the H word, heresy, the church would be reduced to loose confederation of local churches holding different views, probably closer to an Anglican or Protestant model than an Orthodox model, the memo warns. I think this is spot on, Jesse, because when the German church can do certain things, whereas the Irish church, no, 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 we are the Catholic church, we're the universal church. The memo's author who identifies himself, go ahead and repeat, repeat Pat, because that is very important here. Go ahead, Jesse. <clears throat> The, okay. memo's, the memo's author, yeah. who identifies himself as, quote, demos, close quote, yep. goes on to issue a blanket indictment of current Vatican leadership. Mm -hmm. He devotes several paragraphs to financial mismanagement, but also bemoans the chaotic 
administrative style that has exacerbated tensions within the Vatican and demoralized the faithful. Among his complaints are, Terry, what are the six oh, complaints? Gosh, it's brutal. It sounds like a, I, I wouldn't want to work there. Number one, phone tapping is a regular practice. I, are you Really? I said, is it that bad? Yes, I've had friends that worked in the Rome say that, yeah, they're like, uh, you can't say, you can't even speak in your office without being careful about, well, I might offend somebody. I might upset somebody in the higher above me. This is wrong. Number two, Jess. The financial situation of the Vatican is great. You think? Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at the look at the real estate collapse of that building in, in, uh, in uh, England that was a debacle, and everybody tried to cover up all that. This is, Jesse, I know this sounds terrible to have to show that our church has got a lot of corruption, but, I mean, Jesse, we had that back in the 13th century with homosexuality. How did that get resolved? By exposing it and calling them back to fidelity. Yeah. Number three, there has been no public support for loyal Catholics in China, nor for the Catholic community in Ukraine, especially the Greek Catholics. Right here on this show, Jesse, we had a, a Chinese Catholic from China. She's here in the States. Get on the air with us and tell us. She wrote a letter to the Pope saying, Holy Father, Please help us. The state church is killing us. They're closing our churches. They're, they're telling us we have to believe in communism over Catholicism. We need your support. And I asked her, did you get a response? Nothing. Next one, Jess. Crickets. Number four, <clears throat> the College of Cardinals. Th- this is th- from this cardinal. We don't know who he is. His name's Demos. That's yeah. his pseudonym. Pseudonym, yeah. It could probably be Pell. It could be Vigo. I personally think it's Pell because I know him well, and it sounds like Pell. Mm, interesting. Ahead. The college of point number four, the college of or criticism number four yeah. of the of the Vatican. Yeah. The college of cardinals have been weakened by eccentric nominations, and because the Pope has not allowed for meetings of the college, the cardinals are now unknown to one another. Yeah, eccentric nominations. It's give an basically, example. Yeah, give uh, uh, well, uh, people who are, are are friends of the Pope. Yep. Uh, you know who he owes favors, yep. or these people that are just basically soft on 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 you know the sixth and ninth commandment, or sexual predators themselves, That's right, or or Marxists or liber- li- liberation right. theologians. Yep. These are the, the seemingly the people that are being elevated to the office of cardinal under Pope Francis. And Jesse, might say, people might say, why are you being so critical? Well, let me ask you a question: If you've got a, uh, a you've got some corruption going on in your body, in, infection. What do you do? You clean it out, okay? And this is what the church is doing right now. This is why cardinals and bishops, like Bishop well, Bishop Athanasius Snyder supporting this. Bishop Joseph Strickland told me last week, he's uh, two weeks ago, that he's behind Cardinal Pell on this. We need to clean house. And so we're not doing it in vindictiveness. This is out of charity to try and help the salvation of souls because that's all the church is here for, to help people get to heaven. All right, the five criti- fifth criticism. The extensive preparations for the Senate on Synodality, which will consume much time, money, and probably distracting energy from evangelization and services. I might add one more thing, Jesse. I've got friends in the Vatican who have told me that they've already got it figured out. This whole exercise on Synodality is just for show. They're, they already know what they want to do and how they're going to do it. They're making us feel good by saying it's a public event. You know what, Jesse? 
It isn't. Go ahead. The the outcome's already predetermined. That's a fact, Jesse. By the modernists inside the you Vatican nailed it, right buddy. Now. Yep, that's a fact. Point number six: <clears throat> the Amazon Synod heard virtually no mention of the disastrous decline in Catholic numbers and Protestant expansion in South America. Close quote. I can tell you because I've read other articles. No. Catholicism is hanging by a thread in Latin America and South America. The Protestant denominations have basically, Terry, been running roughshod over those countries because they have a Bible in their hand. That's right. They're, they're screaming, Jesus saves in John 3.16. That's right. While the Catholic missionaries are saying, are saying nothing about Jesus, but they're saying, come over here and we'll give you the jab and give you a sandwich. Yeah, we're sleeping. We've been sleeping for 60 years down there. The demographics really do speak well. As a matter of fact, Jesse, just on a side note, Bishop Athanasius Snyder talks about that on our Monday show about the decline in the church attendance at Mass. And why is that? And he brings it back to the way you worship is the way you believe. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm He's making the point that we need to get back to a sacred liturgy that's vertical, not so horizontal, and we'll yes. bring the people back. We've said the same thing, brother. Right. So there are hopeful signs. Yep. This, this cardinal, by the pseudonym of Demos, yep. this is what he says, noting, for instance, that young priests are almost completely orthodox, sometimes quite conservative. Yep. But the overall situation, uh, this, uh, this uh, cardinal Demos, he insists, is grave. It calls for decisive action. In his memo, looking forward to the next papal conclave, he summarizes the challenge that the cardinals reading this memo will face. The first tasks of the new pope will be to restore normality, restore doctrinal clarity in faith and morals, restore a proper respect for the law, and ensure that the first criterion for the nomination of bishops is acceptance of the apostolic tradition. And the only thing that I will say is that we've had bad popes before in the past. Yep. In the midst of bad popes, guess what? God raises up saints. Right. Make sure you're one of them. And Jesse, well said. And this is why here at Virgin Most Powerful, we pray every Thursday night here at the chapel for priests. Why? Because <clears throat> priests, bishops, and the Holy Father, because they need it. This next conclave that's coming, it's probably sooner than later because Pope Francis is not a young man. So I would say let's start praying now for the restoration of the church and its liturgy and its apostolic work because let's be honest, look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie. We have been asleep at the wheel, and this is one of the reasons lay people are coming up all over the country and the world of groups calling back for more traditional teachings of the church and rejecting the word modernism. And that's right on our website, the 1907 document, Pope Pius X, because if you read that short document, you'll see that modernism is alive and well. You might not want to hear that, but it's a fact. And this is what we're out to do, is to help people get to heaven by the what we call the perennial teachings of the church. We're not into new ideas that are going to be compromising the gospel message. As Cardinal Pell said in his article, that this is undermining the church's mission. Terry, something interesting is that... What is is that Joseph Ratzinger, yep. who, who later became Pope Benedict XVI, mm -hmm. back in a, a 2004 letter yeah. that he wrote to the U.S. bishop, oh, yeah. he said that we can disagree with the Holy Father on negotiable That's prudential right. issues. Uh, so again, what we're saying here, it's based on Canon 212. 
paragraph 907, we do it respectfully. That's right. But uh, when we see modernism right, under, right, right underneath our noses, we must call it out, Terry. Absolutely. Someone just texted me, Jesse. He says, you're probably right. It's Cardinal Pell. He says, uh, this is why Cardinal Pell was innocently jailed. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, I like that. I like that, too. Jailed. Yeah, that's funny. You know, Jesse, the bottom line is we need to pray for our church. And, you know, we can complain, but I asked myself, well, I, was, I got up early this morning, you know, to pray before the Blessed Sacrament, before the interview with Cardinal, with, Archb- with Bishop Athanasius Snyder. And I thought to myself before the Blessed Sacrament, what a great grace it is to be able to pray in the presence of Christ. And I want to encourage Lent is, you know, we're getting close. We're over halfway through. Let's make an effort to visit the Blessed Sacrament more and pray for Holy Mother, the Church. Yes, when we come back, you got an amazing article here. And no, it's not the nuclear option. It's the Marian option here That's on right. Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us, family. You're going want, to want to miss these stories about how Our Lady has intervened into, into history. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. The last thing I want to mention about the previous article that we were sharing, Terry, yes, yes. is that yeah. Pope Benedict XVI, mm-hmm. back in the 1970s, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, he, yes. he, he made the following statement. He said, he said, Pope's might make pronouncements that are inconsistent with the Catholic Church's authentic and historic doctrine, which would necessitate necessitate criticism of those pronouncements. So Cardinal Ratzinger told us this in the 1970s. He later became Pope Benedict XVI. I'm just glad, Terry, that he gave us all these teachings that we could hang our hat on because when people start criticizing us, we could say, no, this was said by the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, uh, we are in our right to question these statements. And Jesse, okay. one more yeah. thing, though. You said about Pope Benedict. You've also quoted, and we've quoted many times, Pope Francis speaking to the Italian bishops said a very similar thing. It's okay to not agree with me on certain prudential decisions. I, I have it right here. May twenty second, 2018, yeah. Pope Francis tells Italian bishops, quote, it is not a sin to criticize the Pope here. Yeah, there you go. He's, he said that at an opening of a general assembly of, uh, God bless of, him. Of, of, of Italian bishops. And uh, again, he was sharing his concern about less people going into seminaries and the church is closing and diocese shrinking under his watch. So he did take some responsibility. I, I just wanted to bring that up because credit is due to him on that. But again, for us to criticize Holy Mother of the Church, what's our motivation, man? Not Salvation of souls. Thank you, Jess. All right, yep. let's move on. The Marian option, that's better than the nuclear option. <laughs> Yep. This this article is going to bring joy to your heart. It's going to bring a smile to your face. That's why I chose it for a Good Friday. Good job, Jess. Yep. So the Marian option is more relevant than ever. Yep. Historian Arnold Toynbee, after studying the fall of 26 great civilizations, concluded the following, quote, Civilizations die from suicide, not by murder. Oh, Jesse, Both repeat words. that one more time because that's so true. Civilizations <clears throat> die from suicide, not by murder. Close quote. Terry, that's what's happening right now. It, that's exactly what's... Jesse, not, and we're going to get into this article, not just um, here in our country, but, you know, we, we talk about... We, we can't even figure out the difference between a man and a woman. How does 
that fit with a culture that's going to uh, live. You won't. And I'll give you another one, Jesse. You wrote a book on it, on on uh, marijuana. The rep- You know, you did. You wrote a book four or five years ago. And what's happening now? The House of Representatives just voted to, to, un- to make it legal in all 50 states. Remember how California led the way? Wow. Yeah, so they're pushing this. And what is that doing, Jesse? It's making our kids become loaded with drugs and they lose their motivation to work. You talk about undermining a civilization by suicide. We are intoxicated. That's exactly what we're doing. Let's continue. They have be, they become hollowed out from within. These are civilizations that die from suicide, not by murder. Right. Like an old rotting tree and then come crashing down with an autumn's breeze. Good analogy. Given the crisis upon crisis of the last few years, it seems we have a front row seat for the latest iteration. <laughs> that means repetition of yeah. societal suicide. So this book that was published by Kerry Gress, the book is called The Marian Option. God's Solution to a Civilization in Crisis. She wrote it back in 2017. She admits that there were certainly major societal shifts taking place in the culture, but the book came out before COVID and before what we're watching in real time first in Afghanistan and now in Ukraine. The book has done well. It seems more relevant than ever, especially with Pope Francis' upcoming consecration that he just did of Russia and Ukraine to Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception on that great feast day, March 25th. Obviously, millions of Catholics prayed then and are continuing to pray right now, asking for her intercession in this bloody and terrible war, which could erupt into World War III. Oh, yeah. So the Marian Option, this book, has provided great hope and solace to those who have read it. Uh, We're going to share with you chapter two of the book. Oh, it's powerful. Yeah, chapter two is going to offer a glimpse of the hope that we can place into the hands of Our Lady to continue, guide, protect, and lead all us, all of us to her side. And these are the stories that should inspire you. Here's the one. Oh, man. Yeah. When in Italy, if you ask the name of a relatively unknown church, the response is likely Santa Maria. All right? And is it Della Quososa? Or how do I pronounce that, Jess? Yeah. That Qual- 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 Qualcosa. Or St. Mary of something. I like that. St. Mary of yeah. something. Yeah. That's hilarious. Testifying to the number of churches in Italy named after Our Lady. 25% of the churches in the L.A. Diocese are named after Our Lady, Jesse. Wow, wow. It seems that every little town from Seville to St. Petersburg and every pocket of Catholicism is between, has at least one, if not several, churches devoted to Our Lady. Rome alone has roughly 90. Many are filled with votive or thanksgiving Offerings testifying to the prayers answered through Mary's intercession. Among them, crutches, glasses, photographs, paintings. I see that all over North America, too, all over the world, not just in mm-hmm. Rome. Just why don't you talk about this John Adams story? Because I thought that was, I never heard that one before. Me neither. In the 19th century, Henry Adams, yeah. who died in 1918, grandson of President John Quincy yeah. Adams, yeah. and great grandson of President John Adams, had a, king in, had a keen insight mm-hmm. in his work the education of Henry Adams, he explains the wonder and ignorance he felt as a young man at the World's Fair while experiencing the power of new machines, especially the automobile. (laughs) While he found himself stupefied by the invention, he was thrilled by its potential and what it heralded for the future of science. But then Adams retreats a bit from his awe and wonder and compares the likes of it to the power wielded through the centuries 
by the notion of a virgin. He starts initially describing those found among Greeks and Romans, but eventually his descriptions include the Virgin Mary. He explains, The 12th and 13th centuries were a period when men were at their strongest. Never before or since have they shown equal energy in such varied directions or such intelligence in the direction of their energy. Yet these marvels of history, these plantigenets, which means a dynastic family of kings, these scholastic philosophers, these architects of, of, of rhymes and Amians, these innocents and Robin Hoods and Marco Polos, these crusaders who planted their enormous fortresses all over the Levant, which is a large area in the eastern Mediterranean of Western Asia, these monks who made the wastes and barren zeal harvest all without apparent expedition, bowed down before the woman. Even the potential power of the dynamo, the automobile, is nothing, <laughs> Adams explains, compared to the power of the virgin. What Henry Adams recognized more than a century ago, even more surprisingly as a Protestant, as he walked through the cities, churches, cathedrals, and cemeteries, was that the height of European culture was centered on devotion to Our Lady. In the places where European culture soared, so too did devotion to Our Lady. And perhaps vice versa, where devotion to Mary soared, so too did the culture. Just my comment before I continue reading on here, Jess. In other words, when you have a true devotion to Mary, it brings you right to Christ and the church grows and, and souls are saved through having devotion to Mary. Henry Adams isn't the only one to have this insight about Mary. I remember this. It seemed like it was yesterday, but it was 2015. I, I still have a cover of it. National, I do too. Yeah, that's funny, Jess. National Geographic named her the world's most powerful woman. Uh, Maureen Earth explains. Mary's everywhere. Marigolds are named for her. Hail Mary passes. You've heard that. He made a Hail Mary sh yeah. shot. He saved the game. The image of Our Lady of our Guadalupe. Did you hear about that, Jesse? The miracle right now that's going around with in Guadalupe? Nope. There's an it's a bright light on our on the tilma. It was shining on uh, the miraculous image of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. They send the picture out, and when you blow it up, it's an image of a baby. Oh, yeah, that's going all over the internet right now. So this well, we'll have to we'll have to cover that next week for sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So Mexican. That's Our Lady of Guadalupe is one of the most uh, reproduced female likenesses ever. Mary draws millions each year to the shrines, shrines as Fatima, uh, you know, uh, Lourdes, Knock in Ireland, all over the world. Religious tourism estimated to be worth, are you ready? Billions of dollars a year, providing thousands of jobs. She inspired the creation of many great works of art, the Michelangelo Pieta, and the Notre Dame Cathedral, as well as poetry, liturgy, and music. Monteveri's Vespers for the Blessed Virgin Mary. And she is the spiritual confante of billions of people, no matter how isolated or forgotten. You know what, Jesse? This reminds me of a lady who cleaned my teeth a month or two ago. And she was talking to me while she's cleaning my teeth. And I found out that she grew up in Vietnam. She was with the Legion of Mary. You know what she told me? She prays her rosary every day. She's probably 50 years old now. She escaped, you know, communism. But you see, she's so devoted to the Blessed Mother. She told me, I don't. I just pray. I don't turn my TV on. I love Our Lady because she helps me love Jesus. 
I thought, oh. there you go, Jesse. That's she true it. devotion. She got she, it. She gets it. Yeah, keep going. Mary's everywhere, sometimes hiding in plain sight. Her influence in the world is unmistakable if looked at collectively through salvation history. Amen. We saw that creative minorities are responsible for setting the wheels of civilizations aright. What has been overlooked for centuries, however, is Mary's role in creative minorities. <laughs> Not only does she play a role in them, but she's been the force behind some of the most successful creative minorities in history. <laughs> Looking back to when devotion to work expanded in the church, say from the, 19th, from the 13th century, when St. Dominic promoted the rosary, although one could argue even earlier, Mary has been the source behind the creative minorities that have ushered in massive geopolitical shifts in battle after battle against Christianity's enemies. Those led by her have been victorious. For example, Catholic Spain fighting under her, under her standard is one of the only countries to regain the vast amounts of territory from Islam. Elsewhere, outnumbered Christians were victorious against the Ottomans in the battles of Lepanto and Vienna after begging for Mary's assistance through the rosary. In the Americas, Our Lady of Guadalupe dramatically transformed the history of the continent by converting at least 4 million natives to Catholicism. <laughs> Some estimates are as high as 10 million. And in the Cold War, Poland, a priest of little consequence, was called from the ashes of World War II and the Soviet communism to conquer the Iron Curtain in country after country from Austria to Ukraine some national miracle has been attributed to her intercession wow when we come back we got more stories about Our Lady and her power to bring souls to Christ you're listening to yep Virgin Most Powerful Radio imagine that stay with us family welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show to join the conversation call 888 888- Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Hey, Jess, doesn't this this build you up listening to these stories about Our Lady? Absolutely, Terry. I think it's awesome. By the way, the the only tragedy in life is not to become a saint. Amen, brother. And and how do you become a saint? To Jesus through through Mary. Amen, brother. Mary is truly at the heart of many creative minorities that have transformed the world she doesn't need masses to change. <laughs> she just needs a few devoted souls, such as St. Dominic, St. Ferdinand, Blessed Alan de la Roche, John Sobieski, St. Catherine Lip, Labouret, the three children at Fatima, Pope St. John Paul II, St. Maximilian Colby, or yeah. you, you, you listener. I like that. You, buddy. Yeah. Woo! She also works through the hidden souls known only to her who transform the world through prayer, sacrifices, and pure love. Cardinal Joseph Menzenti, what a, what a saint, who died in 1975, yep. who was first imprisoned by the Nazis and then by the communists in Hungary for 23 years, said of Our Lady, quote, Veneration of Mary is the great genius which gives Christianity its power, courage, and victoriousness, close quote. Clearly, this was a man who had witnessed a lot of cowardice injustice and outright evil even within the church terry yes he knew that mary and her special intercession was an antidote to all of these before we continue the article one quick note about cardinal menzenti during lent when he was in prison they wanted to try and undermine him too because so many people were holding on to their catholic faith what did they do jess they said to him hey let's they're starving him to death right in prison so what did they do they give him a big steak to eat during Lent on a Friday. And they wanted to show, they were going to f- film it and show that Cardinal Manzani caved in on 
the church's teaching on abstinence and, you know, not having meat. He's going to eat a big steak. And they put it in front of him. And what did he do? He says, get out of here. I'm not going to compromise my faith. Jesse, a man doesn't do that when you're starving him to death without supernatural help. And I believe it was Our Lady who actually helped him in those prison camps there, or you know, in prison. And to be able to withstand that kind of pressure when you're starving, that, that's not natural, Jess. Not at all. Of the many foreshadowings of Mary found in the Old Testament, this one rings true of a beautiful woman in boots. <laughs> I love that. The Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Who is she that cometh forth as the morning rising, fair as the moon, bright as the sun, terrible as an army set in array? Yeah. Close quote. She's been called La Conquistadora, meaning the conqueror, hardly a tender title, <laughs> a popular devotion that continues in the American Southwest. In the Litany of Our Lady of Sorrows, her more militant side shines through, shines through. In it, she is called shield of the oppressed, conqueror of the incredulous, protectress of those who fight, haven of the shipwrecked, calmer of tempests, <laughs> ret retreat of those who groan, terror of the treacherous, and standard bearer of the martyrs. Like a fierce mama bear, there is nothing lightweight about her intercession and protection of those devoted to her. More recently, St. Maximilian Colby's Militia of the Immaculate Conception yep. and the Blue Army, in contrast to the Communist Red Army, formed in response to the apparitions of Fatima, also reflect her role as a 12-star general leading her troops in a spiritual battle. One 12th-century knight wrote, quote, Our Lady is powerful in battles. She is the hope of knights who fight. Without her, knights cannot win, close quote. Jesse, just a quick note again. We have the first uh, five Saturdays starting up here at Sacred Heart Chapel in the Virgin Most Powerful Headquarters tomorrow, 3 o'clock. Come and join us every Saturday, first Saturday every, every month. We'll have not only praying of the rosary, a teaching on, the, on devotion to Our Lady. Confessions will be offered at that same time and Holy Mass, and then a potluck. So people here in Southern California will get a chance to meet us every, I meet myself and others here on the first Saturday of every month because we want to implement the Fatima Peace Plan. Amen. This article, Jesse, uh, about our ladies, I love it. Phenomenal. Which, and no, it's Phenomenal. because these are just so inspirational. This one coming up about the Battle of New Orleans. Tell us about that one, Jess. So the fighting starts, <laughs> and out of the blue, something old happens that leads Christians to victory. Yeah. In the 1815 Battle of the New Orleans during the War of 1812, yes. General Andrew Jackson's army of 6,000 faced 15,000 British. He's outnumbered. The residents of New Orleans joined the Ursuline nuns oh, in yeah. praying to Our Lady of Prompt Succor. Yep. On the morning of the battle, Mass was offered at the altar where the statue of Our Lady of Prompt Succor had been placed which was close enough that cannon fire could be heard in the chapel. At the very moment of Holy Communion, a courier came to the Ursuline nuns with the news that the Americans had won. The British, who had been counting on advancing under the cover of fog, were exposed and routed when the mist unexpectedly lifted at the very moment the Mass was offered. Wow. The British lost 2,000 soldiers, 
while the Americans lost 71. Unbelievable. President James Monroe later praised General Jackson, saying, quote, History records no example of so glorious a victory obtained with so little bloodshed on the part of the victorious, close quote. Years later, whenever Andrew Jackson visited New Orleans, he made a point of visiting the Ursuline Convent. Wow. Jesse, there's another one in Poland that's just outstanding. We got time. Go for it, dude. During the Polish-Soviet War in the, in the summer of 1920, during the Battle of Warsaw, yeah. it appeared that the Soviets could have an easy time defeating the disorganized Poles. Then on August 15th, which would later become the date of the Feast of Our Lady's Assumption, as the Russian army was approaching the Vistula River, an image of Our Lady of Czestochowa was seen in the clouds over the river, terrifying the atheistic Bolshevik communists. Following a series of battles, the Red Army was defeated in what is known today as the Miracle on the Vistula, which halted the spread of communism into Western Europe. The last one, one of our employees, when I had St. Joseph Communications, was part of this resistance standing in front of a, a tank that was going to run him over. He had a rosary in his hand. Wait to hear this story. Go for it, Jess. In 1986, in the Philippines, 20-year dictatorship of, of Ferdinand Marcos was shaken up by the election of Corazon Cory Aquino. But as the Marcos regime came to an end, it appeared the dictator would not go out without a fight. He sent out his loyalist military, including tanks and soldiers, to keep a grip on the country mm -hmm. through any means possible. Marcos had given orders to fire on the people if necessary. Cardinal Jaime Sin recounts the turn of events. What I am telling you now, has to, as was told to me by many of, of these same soldiers who were ready to fire on the people. The tanks were trying to penetrate the crowd, wow. and the people were praying and showing their rosaries. That is when, according to these soldiers, the Marines who were right on the top of the tanks, the so-called loyalists to Marcos, they saw up in the clouds the form of the cross. Then a beautiful lady appeared to them. I love it. I don't know if she appeared in the sky or was standing down on the ground. Others would later tell me that they thought she was a nun dressed in blue and that she was standing in front of the tanks. So beautiful was she, she was, and her eyes were sparkling, and the beautiful lady spoke to them like this, quote, Dear soldiers, stop. Do not proceed. Do not harm my children, close quote. And when they heard that, the soldiers put down everything. They came down from the tanks, and they joined the people, so that was the end of the loyalists. I don't know who these soldiers are. All I know is that they came here crying to me. They did not tell me that it was the virgin. They told me only that it was a beautiful sister. But you know, he paused and laughed heartily. <laughs> I have seen all the sisters in Manila, and there are no beautiful ones. So it, must have, so it must have been the Virgin Mary. Why doesn't he really tell me what he thinks? Reports say there, there were more than one million Filipino men, women, and children praying together in the streets, holding their rosaries as the soldiers advanced. The Marcos regime ended without massive bloodshed, thwarted at the last minute by the faithful prayers of a million people and the women who wore the woman who wears combat boots. I love it. And, you know, it's not only the military, the strength, but um, as a heart, her influence is always directed to the will of Christ and to the salvation of sinners. I want to repeat that, Jess, because there's more here. We're running out of time. But like, like I just said, brings peace to those in difficult situations. She's there to direct us to the will of God and the salvation of sinners. When Our Lady appeared to St. Catherine de la Bure, 
I want people to Google that story about the miraculous medal because we don't have enough time to cover that. But what this just did for me, Jesse, and I hope it did for you and for everyone listening, is inspired you to have a stronger devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. And remember, what was her role 2,000 years ago? It's the same today, but what did she do? She brought Christ to the world, right? She had brought forth Jesus on Christmas Day. And what is she doing today? The very same thing, man. Nothing's changed, Jess. Wrap it up, brother. It says, uh, looking at history, the uh, cultures are transformed through simple devotion to her. You got it. Her. Like my dentist, cl- the lady that cleaned my teeth. That's right. The Legion wife- of Mary. Yep. A wise priest once defined culture as God's love made visible. <laughs> That's a- Mary is the masterpiece of God. You bet. Which explains why when Mary Marian f- devotion flourishes, yep. so does culture. You got it. Mary, as our mother, brings order to those places where she's invoked and honored. And as Blessed John Cardinal Henry Newman said, he said, Mary is our happier world. She leads her spiritual children to her son and helps us regain what has been lost through the fall and sin. She rids us of false teaching. Far from, free, from being a saccharine devotion, Mary burns through the vices of the I cynics, the jaded, the angry, the agitated, and the hopeless. In their place, she plants the gifts of peace, order, hope, strength, goodness, and creativity. These new fruits in the lives of her devotees become tangible in the material elements of the culture. Her, gift rip, her gifts ripple from one person to the next well, and they, to the next, well out into the broader culture. I want to recommend you get Devotion to Mary, True Devotion to Mary by Louis de Montfort, or go to the St. Maximilian Colby Center and get uh, formation on devotion and consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's out of this world. What did Our Lady say at Fatima? He said, hey, pray your rosary every day. Hey, make reparation. What? She said, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make reparation. We need to do that. Listen to Our Lady today, tomorrow, every day. She leads us to Jesus Christ. Jesse, what state should we be living in, brother? State of sanctifying grace. Don't live in the state of mortal sin. The goal of life is to get holy or die trying. And remember, the only tragedy in life is to die and not become a saint. Make sure you before you die, you leave it all out in the playing field. Absolutely. And I want to thank everybody. Come and join us on Saturday, our first uh, Saturday devotions here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, 3 o'clock every, sat- every first Saturday of the year to promote the Fatima devotion and the peace plan from heaven. We have mass, we have, we have confession, and then we have also teaching and then a potluck after our mass Join us here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. May God richly bless you. Up next, the Bible with the barbers. I'll be babysitting. My wife's got a good one for you.